0: ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to begin reading in verse 13. Familiar passage, one that doesn't get a lot of coverage, doesn't get a lot of play all the time, short, sweet, just what my son likes to hear at the beginning of a sermon. Matthew chapter 10. We're going to read verses 13 through 16, and then we'll back up and work through them this morning. And we get a story here about Jesus. Verse 13, it begins. Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. It's a real simple passage, not very complicated. A child can understand it. I'm going to back up, though, and work through it a little by little here. First of all, in verse 13, when it says, Then they brought little children to him. Um, Little children can conjure up different images uh, for different folks. Um, Are we talking about, you know, little children in my house? i got a a seven-year-old. That's my youngest little child. Are we talking about, you know, little children in, in Marty's house? What do we mean by little children? We're supported here by the actual word, um, which tends to indicate really little children, babies. And then we get the clarifying story, because this is also in Matthew and Luke's gospel. In Luke, the word bifos is used, and it is babies, unborn and born babies. And it's interesting there that the word is used in the New Testament Uh, not just for infants born, but infants unborn. There is no separation. There are several testimonies in the New Testament that involve unborn babies, and this is the word, the same word used inside and outside the womb, which, of course, is how we talk as well. We have uh, babies in the sanctuary this morning, born and unborn, um, and we call the babies who are born babies, and we call The babies who are unborn babies because they are babies, Uh, just born and unborn babies. That is a biblical approach to it. And we see it in the language. So even though Mark doesn't use that word here, the parallel passage in Luke's gospel tells us exactly what's happening in the scene. People are coming to Jesus with infants, babies, and they want Jesus to take the babies up in his arms, and his hands. It says here that he might touch them. Uh, it's the old political trope of going around, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies. That's what politicians do. They go around and they want to, they want to, they want to embrace people and pretend that they know all the local crowd and, and kiss babies. And we can ask, is that's what is that what's happening here? Or was this? Was this a politically shrewd move by the Lord? Then, of course, we see it's not because the disciples don't want this to happen at all. Before we get to the disciples, we should ask, what exactly are the people wanting then? Why are people bringing babies to Jesus? They're not sick. There's no reference here to Jesus touching babies to heal them. It's not some, you know, deathly, you know, situation or some paralysis. Um, It's nothing like that. There's no handicap that's being dealt with. Um, The babies coming to this preacher are not going to learn anything. He's a teacher. He's a preacher. He's discussing that. They're not going. So they're not there to learn. They're not there to be healed. And I think what we have here, the only thing that remains are parents or people who are nursing children, bringing children with the concern of their soul to Jesus, a spiritual concern. Jesus was not passing out money to people. He didn't have any earthly power to bestow upon people. These were not uh, social connections being woven together. Jesus preached about the kingdom of God, and these are Parents or people with babies who are concerned about the position of these children in relationship to the kingdom of God, and they are bringing them to the Lord. The disciples rebuke those who brought them, it says in verse 13. Rebuke, an interesting, interesting word. They chastise them, they tell them, This is not appropriate, this is not okay you get the sense that Jesus was too important for babies in the disciples' minds. Here is the the son of David, the Messiah of Israel, the great teacher, and we know that he had many people pressing upon him, people who did need healed. You know, there's many stories of Jesus in the New Testament where it says, and the crowds came to Jesus, and it just ends with a simple phrase, and he healed them all. It's like, how long did that take, you know? How, how, if we had someone who was actually healing people by touching them and word was traveling around, can you imagine the kind of crowd that that would generate? And then with the crowd assembled, can you imagine how much time it would take to have some sort of one-on-one interaction? You know, some of us, uh, not me, thankfully, waited in line at, uh, at King's Island this week to get on rides And, you know, they've come a long way at King's Island with the whole waiting in line to get on rides thing. But you wait, and you wait, and you wait for a 60-second experience, a 90-second experience. It's not long, and you wait, and they're shuffling people through 20 at a time. Can you imagine In ancient Israel, I mean, I don't think they had the ropes where you could, you know, your time with Jesus is 30 minutes away. I don't think they had any of that. You're just waiting and trying to press through the crowds to get to him for a split-second interaction, one at a time, a hope that some calamity, some paralysis, some concern would be dealt with by the Lord. I mean, Jesus worked from sunup till sundown over and over again. He wasn't talking the whole time. These are not 16-hour sermons. (laughs) He's working with people over and over and over again. And these are people in difficult situations. And you can almost, if you think about it, if you really think about it, you can almost get a sense of what the disciples mean when they're like, okay, we don't have time for Jesus to pick up every baby. (laughs) We don't don't have time for that. You know, the athlete can't sign every autograph. You know, the, the, the movie star can't shake every hand. The politician can't kiss every baby. We don't have time for this. There are people with real needs. Jesus is teaching people who need to hear. He's saying things that people need to learn. And these babies don't have any needs. And they're not listening. And they're not learning. But implied in that approach to this discrimination against those with the babies is the suggestion that the others who were coming to Jesus are worthy of his attention. They deserve prioritization. They merit an audience. And the babies don't. And when you take that approach... Now we have taken an issue of time management and we have transformed it into a gospel issue. After all, we can ask the question, who is worthy of Jesus? Who is worthy of Jesus' time? Who is worthy of Jesus' attention? Who is worthy of Jesus' teaching? Are Peter and James and John who get to walk around and travel with him 24 hours a day, seven days a week, are they worthy of that while the babies aren't? Are the people with needs worthy of Jesus while others aren't? And having turned it into a gospel issue, perhaps unwittingly so, verse 14 says, But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased. That's the only time that particular Greek word is used of Jesus in the Bible, greatly displeased. Not the only time it appears. As it turns out, there are a lot of greatly displeased people in the Gospels, but it's usually people greatly displeased with Jesus. This is the only time Jesus is greatly displeased displeased. And when you read the cross-references of all the other times that people are greatly displeased with Jesus, and again, focusing on this word, you realize the word indicates something that is wildly inappropriate. Like Jesus healing on the Sabbath and people are greatly displeased. This is not appropriate. You know, that's Jesus' reaction What the disciples are doing is wildly inappropriate. It is offensive how inappropriate it is. It says, He was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. So first, the clear instruction. Um, Then, for of such is the kingdom of God. What does that mean? I think we should turn a page backwards to Mark chapter 9. Look at verse 33. Because we find that Jesus' disciples are actually brushing up against this gospel mistake increasingly towards the end of Jesus' ministry. And there's something we need to learn from this. So here is Mark chapter 9, verse 33. Different situation. Listen. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? Um, <laughs> I, I also ask this question sometimes myself, um, usually while we're on the road. I will be driving the van or riding in the van, and I can't quite hear what's going on in the back. You know, we've got a seven-passenger van. I can usually make out the two seats behind me, but in the very back, sometimes it's just clear that there is some sort of disagreement in the back of the van. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, if if you're a parent before, and I might pause and I'd say, hey, what, you know, let me just put it here in the words of the Lord, what is it that you are disputing among yourselves in the back? I don't usually ask it that way, but that's essentially what I'm trying to get to the heart at. Now, Jesus knows, sometimes I do too, sometimes I'm, I'm very surprised at what has caused the dispute uh, because it's like, how in the world can you be fighting about this? And that's what Jesus is, is, is getting at here. How in the world? So what is it, guys, that you are arguing about on the road? Verse 34, but they kept silent. My children do that too sometimes. I don't know if you've ever had to... They kept silent uh, because it was obvious how inappropriate it was. They don't answer. Why? For on the road, they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down. There's no indication they verbally answered this question. So now they're just in for a lecture. Now they're in for a talking to And he sat down and he called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and he set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me. What we get here is the idea that Jesus' rebuttal to the idea of personal worthiness or personal greatness is to point to little children twice in two chapters. Once it's, hey, you know, we believe this is Jesus the Messiah. He's going to, you know, usher in a great kingdom. They did not have the... The right eschatological sense of when that kingdom was coming, but they all believed it was coming. When that kingdom comes in, there are going to be, and I mean, if it's a kingdom, there are going to be different authorities in that kingdom. There are going to be governors, and 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 there are going to be people in in rule. They're gonna, and so who's going? Who do you think Jesus is going to position as the you know the chief position, the chief guy? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And they're bickering about it, and Jesus. Grabs a child, puts the child in the midst, and says, If you're going to be the greatest, you must become the least. And, and then whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. He's using children to contrast the idea of personal greatness or personal worthiness. Now, here's a question for you Why do the disciples keep bumping into this at this point in their time with Jesus? it would seem that these, these false ideas of personal worthiness, of pride manifested in this you know, really inappropriate way, would be at the beginning of their walk with Jesus. Before, you know, he taught for a long time and got them all straightened out. But that's not what we find. It shows up predominantly and with increasing frequency at the end. Three years into this walk with Jesus... Why? Well, there's a straightforward answer to that, and it's one that we should all be able to relate to if you've been a Christian for any length of time. And you should relate to it. You should think about it. When we come to Jesus, we come in a position of faith acknowledging our unworthiness. But it's after we have served the Lord somewhat faithfully for some length of time that we begin to feel as if we are worthy of some kind of honor or recognition or special place or special privilege or some kind of gatekeeper to these things. Pride comes on the other end of faithful service. Pride comes disguised as a faithful self-confidence. And they keep making this mistake. They make it in ways they don't even realize they're making it. By saying, oh, well, Jesus doesn't have time for the little babies. That's the mistake. They don't even realize they're making the mistake. And I'll tell you, you need to think about this. You need to think about this. Because there's a point in Christian faithful service when you will be tempted, if you have not already, to think, yes, but look at what all I do. Look at what all I give. Look at, look at all the ways that I serve. Or look at all the ways that I have served. Look at all the things that I have done. This is at the end of a three-year period that the disciples are struggling with this. You know, brothers and sisters in Christ, don't misunderstand the gospel. You can serve the Lord faithfully for the rest of your life. Giving all that you have, and not be one ounce more worthy of a relationship with Jesus than a little child who hasn't done anything. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17, verse 10. And verse 10 comes to us at the end of the parable in the first part of Luke 17. I won't read it all, but I'll read into it from verse 6. How about that? It's not too much. I think you can stay with me for five verses. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. And which of you... Here's the shift. Which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he's come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? Is that what you do when you've got a, a servant, a cook? I know you don't have servants or cooks, you know, I don't either. I have people who serve, but not servants. And he's saying, you know, if you've got a servant, if a, a rich guy has a, a servant and they come in from the fields and they've been working out in the fields all day, you know, Which one of you turns to that servant who's in your employ and says, Ah, now sit down and take your ease, but instead will not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper. Serve and serve. Get my food ready. Gird yourself and serve me until I've eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink. That's the way it goes with servants and masters. Does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? Now, if he's polite, he should say thank you, right? But in other words, does he express great gratitude that the servant has gone the extra mile? No, because the servant is paid to do this. The servant is the servant. I think not, Jesus answers the question in verse 9. So likewise you, when you have done all these things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. When you are brushing up against a sense of self-worthiness that says, look at what I have done and look at the way that I serve Jesus and look at everything that I do. You know, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve that. I shouldn't be talked to this way. I should be recognized here. People should understand this. When you have done all the things that Jesus has commanded you to do, say only, We are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. We are unworthy servants. All of my life, all of my service to the Lord, every minute that I have spent, every dollar that I have given, every moment in prayer for someone else's concern, it doesn't merit me anything in relationship to Jesus. I am a lowly servant who was saved from eternal damnation and I have done only what I was supposed to do. There is a sense in which you cannot go the extra mile in serving Jesus because you cannot climb up on that cross. You cannot rise above sinner saved by grace creation, doomed to destruction, redeemed. You can't rise above that. And you shouldn't want to. You know, the Bible says the angels look into these things with longing. God has created you in His image. In the image of God, He's created you. Male and female, He's created us. And being fallen men and women, He has redeemed us to eternally reward us. Turn to 1 Corinthians 1. I just want to read verses 27, 28, and 29. And again, remember the author writing these things. This is the Apostle Paul. Whatever you have done, whatever you have given, whatever you plan to do or give, you will not rise above the Apostle Paul in terms of usefulness to God's kingdom. This is Paul, verse 27, 1 Corinthians 1. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world. "...to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no flesh should glory in His presence. But of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. When I read those things, that's me in each of those verses. God has chosen the foolish things of the world. I could write books that no one would be interested in reading, but books on the foolish things that I've done in my life. God would use me to put to shame those who are wise in worldly wisdom by redeeming me and making me his son? You can go through the list of all of these things. There is no room to glory before God, to lift yourself up before God. It says at the end, verse 31, Let him who glories glory in the Lord. Thank you, God, for saving me and giving me a redeemed life that I have. Thank you, God. Well, he says, let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them. Back in Mark 10, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. The disciples made this about receiving little children. That's all they saw in their heads. This is about whether or not little babies are going to get to Jesus. That's all this was about to them. But Jesus makes this about heaven and hell. That's an escalation. That's a pretty big climb up the totem pole of stature and importance here. To them, this is just about whether or not... And it's not even an all-time thing. It was just one day, as far as we know. We just don't have time for this right now. Jesus takes that and makes it about eternity. (laughs) Why? Again, because it's a gospel issue. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as someone unworthy of Jesus' time, as one of the least, will by no means enter it. Wow. Think about that when you walk past the sign up for the VBS sheet. <laughs> Think about that. I mean, it's amazing how we, just human beings, working jobs, raising families. It's amazing how we, without even realizing it, can trivialize something to where to us it's no big deal, and we just assume, well, it's no big deal to the Lord either, have you considered that it might be? The disciples did not. Verse 16, it says, And he took them up in his arms, and he laid his hands on them, and he blessed them. What does that mean? What does that mean? Oh, there are different ideas. I could say with 100% honesty, I don't know fully what it means that Jesus took these children up in his arms and he blessed them. I don't know if that just means he took them up in his arms and he prayed for them because that's all I would do. (laughs) I can't do more than that. But Jesus is not me. Who knows what the blessing of Jesus conferred upon these children was? Who knows what impact it had? I don't know. I think it'd, it'd be really cool to find out in heaven someday what it was. I don't know. I know what I can do. I can pray for a little baby. That's the end of the significance of that moment. Jesus can save them from eternal hell. (laughs) That's a big gap of capabilities there. What does this mean? I don't know what it means. It meant enough to Jesus to make a point out of it. Applications. I want to say something that I mean to be really encouraging. And I debated about different ways of doing this, but I don't. I'm going to just do it very subtly here, and just and just share. One of the things that I am most grateful for, in more than two decades now in our church, is the way that so many people love and serve children. Um, I I am very grateful for that, and when I say children. I mean anyone younger than an adult, the way that that people give of themselves to try to serve children. Now, I've been in other churches, and many of you have too. I've been in a lot of churches uh, prior to us coming here, more than you would think for how young that I was, where we would go into a church, and very quickly, my mom was the only one serving <laughs> children because no one was really doing much of it beforehand, um, that's the background that, that I come from, and my mom and dad are in a church now where that was the immediate impact. There, it was, they're going to a church of older people, and hey, we need to serve children, and I want to tell you that um, we're a church full of sinners, and we are far from perfect, and there's a lot that we don't do well, I'm sure, or as well as we could do well, but I don't have a lot of criticism when it comes to seeing people care about children and try to serve children. Um, And that's been the case for a long time. Just last Saturday, a bunch of older guys who I'm sure would have been perfectly content doing something else on a Saturday uh, gathered to play softball with kids and youth and to celebrate when, you know, Tucker catches a fly ball and pretends he just won the World Series, and he's running in from the outfield. I mean, it was like, you know, that's, the, that's what it's like. You know, I'm, a, I'm 40 years old, and I'm not very fast anymore, and I'm prone to get injured if I'm not already injured when I'm doing something. And it's hot, and it's a Saturday, and I've worked all, I'm not on summer break, as I assume Tucker is, you know, although Tucker's probably working hard on his summer break. And softball on Saturday... I can give and take. You know, it's like now there was a time when that wasn't the case when I worked Monday through Friday to get to play softball on Saturday, but things change and yet to see to see people love kids by showing up because they know we ain't playing softball unless a bunch of 40-year-old people show up to play. <laughs> We're not playing. And to see that that matters and then You know, to transition from that Saturday into the youth going to Kings Island and to know that, you know, Heather with little kids, you know, who uh, is a lot of fun, and and that was a hot day. Oh, man. You guys went to Kings Island with kids. It was like 100 degrees. It was a hot day. That was one of those days where I had office work to do. Uh, I wasn't out in the warehouse very much uh, that day. That was a hot day. And I think a heather with little kids and Steve who still got the tan of that day glowing on his on his skin and and my wife who came home and collapsed at the end of the day and and I think you know they don't go to King's Island unless people serve and you know and of course Nathan's there in the youth ministry and he's organizing and administrating but there's 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 people serving and and then we have you know the the women putting together a, a movie night which my kids my girls get to go to and 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 spend that time there and with women who I hope they admire and will listen to and counsel with as time goes on and then yesterday you know just doing something silly like playing bad golf with with people you know it's like these things matter to our church, and if you're new to our church, or if you've seen these kinds of things going on, and and you know you're like, eh, I don't know if I should. Let me encourage you that these things matter to our church. They matter uh, to me. You know, I'm, I met Clayton Hampton because he coached my sixth grade basketball team. Never met him before in my life. wasn't going to church here. I never met him. Clayton was my basketball coach before he was my brother in Christ who I sang with in the choir for 10 years who I love and prayed with. Um, when working with children, when ministering to children, you will be tempted to say, what are we really getting out of this? Many times you will be tempted to say that. I mean, after all, what do you get out of softball or Kings Island or a movie night? or What, do you, what are we really getting out of this? And I'm gonna encourage you as I can from First Corinthians three verses six and seven. Why don't you turn over there to First Corinthians three? Hey, my old Bible drill day's kicking in. One page, how about that? First Corinthians three. Here's again the Apostle Paul. Paul talking to these. Corinthians, who had the wrong idea about serving God, he said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Not everybody's going to be the one who walks a little child over the finish line to salvation. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. So neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters is anything. There's your merit-based salvation. But it's God who gives the increase. Now he who plants, he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. Praise God. You know, when working with children, it's a lot of tilling the ground and throwing out seed and having absolutely no idea what's going to matter and what's not. It's just the way that it is. You love and you try to show love. and You try to demonstrate love. And sometimes the same kid um, imagines or pretends or forgets, as if you never cared about them a day in their life. <laughs> Can't do anything about that. And when you've done that, when you have loved and served to the point of exhaustion, and you're tired, and and you're you know maybe you're discouraged because you're like you know nobody got baptized today, or you know you know I didn't get that one-on-one moment that I wanted with this person. When you've loved and when you've served and when you've labored and you've done it unto the Lord for whatever it's worth you should say i am an unworthy servant and i've only done what i've was commanded to do and you should trust god with the reward for the labor that you've done in heaven ministering to children is hard but it's also very fruitful um, I want to particularly thank uh, those of you who have ministered in my children's life and those of you who minister in the lives of children who are not your own, who don't even, children who don't even know your children. It's one thing to be involved with ministry when your kids are involved with that ministry. But it's another thing to minister and to serve children when you have no household interest there. You're doing it purely to serve the Lord. I want to thank those of you who do that, and in so many different ways. We have people, so many people who've taught Sunday school over the years and who've worked in nurseries over the years, and in a small church like ours, that's not easy to do. It's often thankless. You have no idea what to expect. The facilities aren't great and flourishing. There are all kinds of problems, There are all kinds of challenges. And we have so many people who, (laughs) well beyond the age they should, will get down on their hands and knees on the floor and play with a preschooler. I want to thank those of you who walk around in Vacation Bible School with groups of kids just to make sure they don't get hit by a car while someone talks to them about the Bible or throws water balloons at them. Or it feels so insignificant, but it's not it's not. If I thought for a second it was insignificant, wouldn't be interested in it. You do these things by faith that God, who's the one that really brings about change anyway, will work in some way through what you're doing. You do it with the mindset of an unworthy servant. Over the years, I've watched people go, from unworthy servant to everybody should be proud of me or <laughs> I should be teaching now or I did that for 10 years and I'm done with it now. and on, Folks, <laughs> if you do it for 50 years, <laughs> you won't be any more worthy than the day you started. And if the job still needs done on year 11, somebody's going to have to do it even if you're done after year 10. I also want to thank those of you who have served in my life as a child who's grown up in this church in so many ways. And I think it's appropriate that I do that because I'm the pastor. And I'm a homegrown pastor who's preaching to you. And yes, it's God, but it's also many of you. And I say that as a means of encouragement. You do not know what that Softball game, that camping trip, you don't know what that will mean to the relationship you are building with a child or a young man or a young woman. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know what crisis they're going to have in their life that they call you in tears trying to figure out what to do because even though you don't have that view of them, in their mind, you're that wise person. (laughs) You're that godly man. And you look at yourself and you say, I'm the godly man? You know, I don't don't feel that way. But you have no idea. Maybe you do. Often you don't. So it's Father's Day. And, you know, on Father's Day, it's right, I think, to stop and to encourage dads to be concerned for their children's soul and to invest in their children's lives Because your children are not insignificant. Their souls are not insignificant. But I would encourage dads especially, for whatever I have encouragement, whatever I have to encourage dads in, take your sons and daughters to events and to situations and to ministries and let them build relationships with other men and women in the Lord Jesus Christ. Cultivate those relationships And when those other men and women say something dumb or sin or screw up around your child, tell your child, assuming that it's not abusive or heinous or malicious or something that needs to be dealt with, tell your child, you know what, for all that person's faults, they love Jesus and they're willing to spend time with you and you should respect that. I have been doing this for 10 years now and for the most part, um, I have not been involved in any of the ministries that my children are involved in. I've not been a youth leader while my children have gone through youth. I've not been a Sunday school teacher for kids who've been in Sunday school. I've not done those things. My job, my responsibilities have been in other directions. But I trust the church of the Lord Jesus Christ completely to love and to train up my children with me and to give them examples of men and women that I can point to, and I'd say, do it like that person. You know, and they may not have this all figured out, but do it like that person. Look at this person, son. Those testimonies matter. And for what this says about the gospel, I'll say this in closing. In Ephesians chapter 2, we are reminded again... That it is by grace we're saved through faith. And that is not of ourselves. It is the gift of the Almighty God. Not of works. It's not something you've merited or earned. Not of works lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship. Whatever good thing you do in the life of another believer, in the life of an unbeliever, it's not your accomplishment, it's Christ's. You are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. And you know that passage goes on to tell you, we have been saved so that God might show His exceeding riches to us in the ages to come. Not now. It specifically says, Ephesians chapter 2, in the ages to come. There is no sacrifice. No matter how trivial, no matter how menial, there is no sacrifice you will make for the Lord Jesus that goes unnoticed. He is your Father, and He takes pleasure in the good works of His children. I take pleasure when my children do something good. A little bit of encouragement that I haven't completely screwed it up. We have a Heavenly Father who has redeemed us. And as any good father will, he will show us riches in the ages to come. Now is not the time to exalt ourselves. Now is a time of service, of ministry, of love, of giving. And when we do it, we should do it as unworthy servants, obedient to God's command. But he doesn't look at you as an unworthy servant. He has placed the highest value on you that any father possibly could. He has given His only Son to save you. You don't get more worthy than that. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father of all my my prayerful concerns for Your people at our church, I can't think of any of them that come more frequently into our conversations together, Lord, than that you'll let the children and the young people here know how much you love them. That bitterness, contentions, conflicts, anger, frustrations will be absent from our fellowship so that when children and young people who are watching render the verdict on what they saw among us that it will be one of light light in a world that for many of them is darkness impressed upon our hearts to do this well help us to love you as those who till the ground and plant and water with the faith that you will give the increase. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.